Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And um, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself as we get started. I'm a man of hope, right? And, and, I'm, and by hope, I mean this. I don't, I'm not just like um, optimistic about things, but I have a hope. And I, I use the word hope intentionally because my hope is, is attached to something, not just something, someone. My hope is attached to Jesus, and so when I live my life, like many of you do, right, you, you have difficulties and challenges, um, speed bumps or whatever metaphor you want to use in your life, um, and you wonder how on earth you're going to overcome some of those things, the hurdles, the twists and turns, ups and downs, all those things in your life. How do you get past all of those? And for me, my hope rests in Jesus, ultimately rests in Jesus. Now, let's be honest, um, I'm pretty talented, as are many of you. Why did someone laugh right then? Was that Megan? You are terrible. Of course it was Megan laughing. No, no, but I'm just saying so are many of you, and you have a great way to overcome the challenges and difficulties in your life too. What we find, though, is when we rest upon ourselves time and time again, over time, we realize that our real hope, Jesus, just sort of slides to the side. And when real challenges come up, we are hopeless. So I'm starting with this message today to tell you that I'm a man of hope. And my desire is that since we have come together in this place, declaring Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that you also would become people of hope. That something would happen today in God's great providence for your life and your life alone. Yes, he's paying attention to you. He would instill hope into you as well, and you would walk out of here lighter than when you walked in. Is that a good place to start this morning? Robert Frost um, is a poet, American poet from the 20th century, probably one of the most famous poets. Um, Because of this one thing, he wrote a poem that so many of us know, but probably don't know the name of. It's called The Road Not Taken. Has anyone heard this poem by Robert Frost? You probably have heard this phrase of it where it says that two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Right? And at the end of this poem, he talks about the traveler who chose a path. And he says, when the two roads diverged in a wood, I took the path or the road less traveled. And that, he says, has made all of the difference. Now, is this a poem ringing a bell now? Okay, this is a, probably the most famous poem in all of the 20th century. Um, advertising companies have used words from this poem to uh, peddle things like Nicorette gum, <laughs> which is awesome, I guess. Nicorette gum, uh, thing, things like uh, Mentos gum as well. And maybe most famously and maybe most appropriately, uh, Monster.com used it in their halftime Super Bowl ad, uh, Super Bowl 34, if you remember that. Um, 
Anyways, this poem is incredibly popular. It has inspired songwriters and screenwriters, movie writers, television show writers. Episodic television has chosen the title of this poem to be the title of their episodes in Twilight Zone, Get Battlestar Galactica. Any fans? Anyone? Just me. Okay, and yes, right on. So, and the Twilight Zone and Taxi, all of these shows have used this poem to be an inspiration for them. 35 years, researchers studied and found that this poem was referenced in over 2,000 news stories. In 35 years, that average is about one per week. And here's the crazy thing. It is an incredibly popular poem, but it is probably the most misinterpreted poem as well. That little line at the end that says, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In America, right, with our individualism, right, we have sort of made it to be this mantra that you can choose the path that's less traveled because it's more difficult, because it's filled with obstacles. And if you choose that one, you will overcome and persevere and your life will become better. Doesn't that sound like an American thing to say? <laughs> Hear me when I say this, that poem is not meaning that. And you have homework if you want. You can go home and read it yourself. I'm telling you that is not what the poem means. There's a whole other meaning there, but that's not why we're here, right? Point to this last point. Um, Robert Frost was actually at a party one night, and someone came to him and saw him, recognized him, and says, Oh, Robert, Robert, would you please recite your poem? The, you know the one, The Path Not Taken? And with anger in his voice, he pushed back against this patron and said, Oh, no, 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 it is not path not taken. It is road not taken. Amen. I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> But he was indignant about that one point. These aren't paths, this, this is a road. And that will lean into what we understand the poem to be. See, so know this about roads over paths. Roads are intentionally made. There's a, a purpose behind them. Someone actually sat down in a room, maybe with a computer or a drafting table, and decided to put a road from here to there. And they went out into the, that place and moved rocks out of the way, trees out of the way, and, and leveled this place so people could travel across it. They are intentionally made, unlike paths in the woods, who are maybe made haphazardly by animals scurrying to and fro. No, the road is intentionally made, and it has a purpose, we could infer. The road is supposed to take us from one place to another. It's to take someone to somewhere. Roads are great metaphors for life, aren't they? That we talk about our lives being a road. Uh, there's a song, you might have seen the Pixar movie Cars, Life is a Highway, right? <laughs> We're thinking about our life is like a road. And think about that. It has twists and turns, ups and downs, but ultimately taking us to a destination, not to be too morbid here, but that destination for all of us in this room is death. And that's the place we're headed. But here's the thing. Jesus, as we've already talked about today, can come in and change our lives. He can come in and change the metaphor, if you will, of our road. He can change the destination, not to death, but to a place called eternal life. In fact, death just becomes a pit stop, a place we stop to get Snickers or Gatorade. You know what I'm saying? That we go through death into something altogether different. And so today I want to talk about roads, two different roads recorded in the Bible. Um, but before we do that, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for our time together. We know, Lord, that when we set aside time for you, when we separate ourselves from everything else that's happening around us, that you love to come and meet with us. And so we're just thankful for that. So we pray 
God, that you would come and be with us. Jesus, you have given us your Holy Spirit, so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us this morning? Holy Spirit, you can open our minds, and you can help us to understand, and you can help us to see our lives differently. God, we thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. The two stories that I want us to turn to in the Bible are found in the New Testament. And if you brought a Bible with you, I'll try to give you some heads up so you can get there. But we're going to be reading out of Luke's gospel and the, um, the Acts of the Apostle. Apostles. Um, here's what you need to know about those two books. They're actually written by one person. Luke, right, the gospel writer, is also the writer of the Acts of the Apostles. And here's an interesting thing about Luke. Luke was not a follower of Jesus. He wasn't walking with Jesus, learning from Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. In fact, Luke heard the message or the story, the good news, the gospel of Jesus by someone else and became a Christian. And the story so compelled him and, and altered his life that he was desirous to record that for other people, the truth about what Jesus really did on the earth, the truth of who he was as a person, the truth in his purpose as to why he came. And so he wrote those things down and he wrote two books in our Bible, the gospel of Luke, which is just a biography of Jesus' life how he was born, Merry Christmas, all the things he did in his life when he was crucified and buried in a, a tomb and how he was raised on the third day, Happy Easter. That's all recorded there. And then the Acts of the Apostles is a story that, that Luke writes that tells us what happens when Jesus actually takes people who believe in him and follow him and he sends them out. We call these people apostles. They're the sent out ones and the apostles begin to share the message of Jesus to the world and Christianity spreads, maybe even faster than COVID, one could hope. Anyways, Luke records all of these stories, and he chooses the details to give us. And in both of these books, he gives us two stories of travelers on a road. Travelers on a road. The first one is in Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 24. We're going to be learning about two individuals traveling from Jerusalem to a, a city called Emmaus. Emmaus. Now, before you get there, I just want to give a little backstory what's happened so far. These two individuals, these two travelers, were followers of Jesus. They were in um, Jerusalem quite possibly for Passover. It's this big Jewish feast that happens every year, and, and the city swells as the Jewish people come in to celebrate Passover together. But it's during this, cel this celebration of Passover, if you will, that the high priests and the religious authorities finally had enough of Jesus and all his talk about being the Messiah and establishing God's kingdom, blah, blah, blah. They decided to arrest Jesus, take him to a mock trial, convict him, then sentence him to death. They crucified him, put him in a tomb, and sealed that tomb. And these two followers of Jesus, you can surmise from this story so far, are now depressed, upset, wondering what on earth is going to happen now because we had put so much hope into Jesus. We were convinced Jesus was going to be the redeemer of Israel. He was basically, if I could just say this, he was going to change their lives forever. He was going to bring a help to them in a way that they didn't even fully understand yet. But now his rotting body, if you will, lay dead in a tomb. Or so we thought. 
Because on the third day, if you know the story, two women go to the tomb to pay their last respects to Jesus. And when they get there at dawn, the, t- the, the stone that had been in front of the tomb was rolled away. The tomb was empty. The body was gone. And an angel comes and says to them, Jesus is not here. Why? Because Jesus is not dead. Because Jesus is alive. Now this rumor is swirling around Jerusalem. People are losing their mind. And these two travelers say, I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) You ever been so overcome in life? You're like, I'm done. I can't even engage with anyone on Facebook right now. Just me? Anyways, I have a a hate-hate relationship with Facebook, if you don't know that about me. So anyways, these two people bounce out of Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus. Someone told me this week that Emmaus is possibly known for its hot springs right? Medicinal qualities. These people were going to take a spa day. They're out of it. I'll just say this. All right, you pick your, this is where we're at. This is the story. And these two travelers are on this road to Emmaus when we pick up the story. Start here in verse 13 of chapter 24. It says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. Um, I find that interesting that they were talking with one another. I'll just put a little commentary as I make my way through this, so just bear with me. Um, I want to run out of time, but I don't care. When things are difficult, I'm telling you right now, it's best to find someone to talk to about it, right? Um, Which is why COVID is so hard for many of us, because we've been isolated from so many people. But these two individuals, travelers, are talking with one another on everything that's happened, speaking about their depression, their their shattered dreams, so to speak. Verse 15, and while they were talking and discussing together, uh, Jesus himself drew near. I love that. Jesus is always near to the brokenhearted. And he goes with them. But it says, verse 16, that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't know what this looks like exactly. I don't know if if he was wearing a disguise or something or just some supernatural thing was taking place. They just didn't know it was Jesus, even though they should have known it was him. doesn't matter, but Luke tells us they just didn't know it was him. Verse 17, and so he asked them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad, which, let's be honest, might be the greatest understatement ever recorded in the Bible. Is sad the word you would use when your hopes and dreams are shattered? When everything you thought was going to take place has now dried up, evaporated, and blown away. Is sad how you feel? I'll leave that there. Is sad how you feel when the very thing you put your hope into says... Um, I no longer love you, and I think I'm leaving. I mean, sad's a a great word, but I can think of a hundred others. It's sad how you feel when the company you've worked for for 20-some years gives you the pink slip because they can get two employees for your salary. I mean, you know you've been overpaid, right? But now it's real. (laughs) Anyways, moving on, these two people with their hopes dashed... um, Jesus comes and and talks to them. What happens next, and I'll just paraphrase what happens next, is there's a few moments where Jesus enters into the story with them. 
He tells these two travelers that, yes, this has taken place. He, it's him, right? He knows what's happened. But he, he, he takes the Old Testament passages of Scripture. He basically takes them through a little Bible study and explains to them that all of these things that took place to him, that the Messiah had to come and be abused and crucified and he'd be raised from that, all these things had to take place so that God could do what he needed to do for them. And so he explains all of this stuff to them. And we pick up the story again in verse 28. And so as they drew near to the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then it says, all of a sudden, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Aha, it's Jesus. And then in that moment, he vanished from their sight. You can't make this stuff up, right? You can't make this stuff up. So they finally recognize that it's Jesus when he breaks the bread and blesses it. And then he disappears. They say to each other, did, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us on the road? Like, they knew something was up, right? They just didn't know what was up. And uh, anyways, and the way he opened scripture to us, verse 33, and I'll finish here. And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem. Okay, so just to put the whole thing together now, these men were very upset at what had taken place. They left Jerusalem because it was just crazy there. Um, get to uh, Emmaus at dusk, Right? Um, Jesus reveals himself after explaining everything that's happened, and immediately they decide to get up almost in the dark, in the middle of night, if you will, and to travel back to Jerusalem. Why? To hopefully give those people hope as well in the truth of Jesus. Okay. All that to say that when people are on roads sometimes of unbelief and or doubt, Jesus likes to interrupt those journeys. Uh, same could be tr uh, true for maybe your life as well as mine. I was not a believer most of my life, did not go to church growing up, right? Some of you did, some of you didn't, whatever. But at some point, Jesus came into the place of unbelief or doubt in your life and revealed himself to make it real. And he does so through the scriptures. I got to be honest with you. I think Paul is onto something when he says that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. There's just something about teaching people the truth of who Jesus is from scripture. Hear me. I have a great idea about Jesus, but that doesn't matter. What matters is what God is revealing to us about his son Jesus in scripture. But if you can see those two travelers, all of a sudden their lives filled with doubt Disbelief, sorrow, sadness have now been transformed with a rejuvenated spirit. They book it back to Jerusalem to tell everyone it had just taken place. If you're like me, there are times in your life when you want stories like that. When you want things in your life to happen, where your, your spirit could be lifted up again, where Jesus might intervene on your behalf, right? Where he might lift you up and make you feel a little more buoyant. I went um, out with, uh, for a run with a couple good friends of mine yesterday. Yes, we're those people who run when it's 12 degrees outside, right? And we're out running, and we're talking. I've learned this. Running is more therapy than exercise. Just throwing it out there. And so as we're talking, as we're you know, uh, jogging through uh, Forsyth, um, when I got home, my spirit had been so elevated and lifted. Um, and I, hear me, it wasn't endorphins, Right? It wasn't just because I got some exercise. 
It's because when we were on a run, we were talking about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Something inside of us just turned us to Jesus, and all of a sudden, we found hope again when we didn't have it an hour ago. And I say we, maybe it was just me, but when I got done, I felt better. Hear me when I say this. There are people here who are walking in unbelief and sorrow and sadness, and Jesus is on the road with you. In fact, you're probably wondering, how on earth did we end up at this empty church on a Sunday morning when it's two degrees outside? Why? Because Jesus is on the road with you. And he's talking to you. And he wants to speak to you about your unbelief. Second road, pivot to the second road. Also recorded by Luke is in the book of Acts, as I mentioned. Acts chapter 9. Backstory looks something like this. Jesus had been raised from the dead. The message about him is spreading all around. Uh, Many of the Christians are fleeing Jerusalem, now moving to other parts of that Palestine area. And there are some people still very upset with the message of Jesus. In fact, they they would prefer if people would stop talking about Jesus. And um, men and women were being arrested Um, ripped away from their families. Gosh, you have to see the severity of this. Ripped out of their homes from their own families, shackled and thrown in prison. Many men and women were beginning to lose their lives. Hear me, not because of something that they had done, a crime that they had committed. No, it was based on a belief that they had that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And there were people persecuting those believers. And at the top of the list of persecutors was a man named Saul. Raise your if you've ever heard of Saul. In my mind, I boo whenever I read the word Saul. Boo, right? Same, I do it when I read Pharisee too. Boo, Pharisees. But Saul is persecuting all of the Christians. And, and it's not enough to just persecute them in, in Jerusalem. He wants to travel to other places. And one of the other places he wants to go to is a city called Damascus. So Saul gets on the road, right? Are you tracking with me? to Damascus, where he has got permission from the high priests to go arrest and persecute people there. We pick up this story in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as Saul, and just so you know, his, his name is also Paul, and I only say that because I'm an idiot, and I'll probably say the other one most times, so just Saul, Paul, same guy. All right, so here we go. So now, as he went on his way, um, Saul, he approached Damascus, and it says, and suddenly a light From heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. And the men who were traveling with Paul, his posse, so to speak, they stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So this road that Saul is on is not one of unbelief or doubt. It's one of just persecution, obstinance, rebellion, if you will. Everything that God is doing, um, he is opposed to it. He just doesn't want it. And some of us are like that on that road some days. Whatever God is doing for us, we don't want it. 
<laughs> and I say that uh, knowing how stingy this might feel as I say this next word. Like how, how do you often feel when God leads you to something, oh, I don't know, like forgiveness for someone that you just can't stand? And we find ourselves on a road similar to Saul in opposition to what God is doing. I always picture a young child trying to come at his dad and the dad just holding his hand out like this, like, I don't think so, son. Like, just in opposition to what he's trying to do. Um, I find it interesting that um, Jesus, this is Jesus that's talking to him, we'll see that in a moment, that Jesus knows his name. That Jesus knows Saul's name. Jesus, if you were to think it through, knows your name as well. He knows my name. He knows everything that's going on in our lives. And he interrupts Saul's journey to Damascus. Because he's on the wrong road as well. Three days, it says, verse 9, that he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Verse 6, if we go back to that real quick, it says here also that in verse 6, um, Jesus is talking to Saul, and he says, now you're going to go into the city of Damascus, and you're going to be told what to do. Just picture this. Saul had everything planned out for his own a trip to Damascus, right? He had his own itinerary, and it was to bludgeon and persecute Christians. And all of a sudden, because Jesus encounters him on that road, his itinerary has all of a sudden changed. Now Jesus says, oh, you're going to be told what to do. And, and that is how it is sometimes in our lives. We have everything planned out, worked out exactly as we see fit. And God in his infinite wisdom, which is far greater than yours, I love you, you're just not that smart to know everything like he does. He comes in and says, no, no, son, we're going to do something different now. Now, how many of us would receive that word today from the Lord? How many of us would say that we have made a way in our own lives, oftentimes in opposition to what God is trying to do, and he wants to interrupt that and say, I want you to do something else. Even now, some of you are suspecting that God is talking to you about changing your direction. Hear me when I say this. As a pastor, I love you. Yes, he wants you to change your direction. I do not know what your direction is, but I know him, and he knows you. He has something better for you. So much better for you. I'm going to tell you what to do. Things change when you have an encounter with Jesus on your road. Things change. It changed for the two walking to Emmaus. It changed for Saul here. And not just personally in your own life, but it changes how other people see you too. Let me read this next part of the story, and I have a few minutes left, and I'll finish with this. But um, it changes how other people will see you too. Keep reading here in verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now the Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, Yes, Lord. Right? Again, I love how the Lord knows our name. I'm just throwing it out there. He knows your name. Verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, to the house of Judas, and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. I would be praying too if I just lost my sight when a mysterious voice out of nowhere was speaking to me. <laughs> right? Praying is, again, an understatement. I'd be crying out to God, Oh, God, what is happening right now? Yeah, he was praying a little bit, probably on the side. <laughs> I don't know. Between episodes of uh, Breaking Bad, I'm sure. Um, 
Anyways, so the Lord said to him, go to this place and meet Saul. Verse 12, he, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, you, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And I love this part. This is why the Bible is so real to me. But Ananias answered the Lord, um, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that, but that's what I picture. He goes, but Lord, haven't we heard about this guy named Saul, how evil he is, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem? Like, I won't do it. And the Lord's, no, 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 you have to go. Verse 14, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind up everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, no, no, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, before kings and before the children of Israel, even other Jews. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's a whole other day for that topic right there. So anyways, Ananias, verse 17, departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said these words, oh my gosh, do you see this? He calls him brother. Brother Saul. Think for a moment how our lives could be radically transformed if we began to treat others the way God sees them and treats them. See, God was doing something inside of Saul's life and Ananias, bless his heart, he just can't see it. And he almost refuses to give blessing to Saul. But the Lord is like, no, no, I'm doing something in his life. You, <laughs> you stay out of it. Like, I'm taking care of him. All I want you to do is what I'm asking you to do. How many of us could be liberated by that idea alone? Just do the things that you're supposed to do and let God worry about the other people. If you're married, say Amen. Not too loud. They're sitting next to you. <laughs> yes, let God deal with them and you just serve them and love them the way God intends you to love and to serve them. But something happens in this experience on the road. Saul's life is being transformed. Visions had been given to him. His understanding that Ananias is going to come and pray for him. Even though Ananias doesn't want to, he decides to go, to, go, go there. He lays hands upon him and calls him a brother. Almost prophetically saying, I know who you're going to be. And I pray for you. Brother Saul, this is the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose, he was baptized, and then he ate some tacos. <laughs> and was strengthened by said tacos. <laughs> um, two radically different stories of travelers on roads making their way through life, so to speak, and, and two um, radically different experiences that Jesus has with them on their road. And yet the, ex the experience that Jesus have with, has with them, unexpected as it is, it, it affects change in their lives. I think my role as a pastor, and I'm, I, I didn't rehearse this, so I have no idea what I'm about to say, so this feels very uncomfortable for me. But I feel my role as a pastor oftentimes is to just remind you of a couple things. Number one, 
Um, you need Jesus on the road with you. So, so many of you are really trying to do this without him. And I, I love you enough to say, stop it. Please stop it. Okay? Secondly is, um, is to make room for Jesus uh, by, by just putting yourself before him oftentimes. Um, in difficult situations in your life, on your road, ask Jesus to help you. Because he's there. He's absolutely there. He's intimately aware of everything that you're going through. And maybe all, all, the only thing that's stopping you from moving to the next part um, of the road is you asking him what's next. What, how, how can this change? What must I do next? And all that to say this, I'm asking you to hear me. Literally say the name Jesus, right? Jesus, what do you want from me? Um, I do this in prayer oftentimes. I do this a lot when I'm driving. If you ever drive next to me, I'm not on my Bluetooth telephone, right? <laughs> or my cell phone. I'm not talking to my wife or ordering um, food. I'm, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm asking him, what does he want? Put yourself before him continually. Ask his advice. Um, and then um, believe, I guess, and hope. And this is where I, I talked earlier about the hope that is in me. Is, is to be a person of hope, believing that God can change your life. I mean, if we had time, we don't. If we had time, I would love to hand the microphone to people and, and let you all explain to everyone else how much your life has been changed because of Jesus. There's this thing that we call our testimony of what God has done that strengthens other listeners. It strengthens ourselves. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves how far we've come along the road with Jesus. So um, if you're visiting, I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is typically how I end. I just stop. <laughs> I wish I was better at doing this. <laughs> I usually just end. I run out of time. There's someone's going to come out here and start playing keyboard. And... Um, <laughs> that's it. That's what I'm saying. I'm done. <laughs> Um, no, I'll, I'll pray. Um, I'll pray for us. How's that? Amen. All right, would you bow your heads? Lord, we know that um, life is a journey. We get that. And we also know our own proclivity to be stubborn, to be willful, and to be desirous to do things our own way in our own time. And so, Lord, we just come before you, and, and we say these words. We say, we repent of that. Say, I repent of that, Lord. I just repent of that. So, God, we ask that Jesus would come and be a part of our journey. And for those of us who are Christians, and Jesus has already been a main part of that journey, may we continue to walk with him, to learn from him, right? To have him a part of our everyday existence. For others who don't know him yet, as a, you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, God, I pray like those two on the road to Emmaus, that the, the road of doubt could be transformed. Unbelief could be made into belief and trust. And so I just pray these things in Jesus' name. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come? And as we go back into another song, of worship. God, may you speak to us some more.
Drive more into us, Lord, the truth that you want to put inside of us, Lord. God, we have carved out time, as we've already said. Now meet with us here. Jesus, we ask you to be a part of the rest of our day. God, we pray um, not on our own merit or because we think we're all that, but because of Jesus, because of your son, Jesus, who loved us enough to sacrifice his own life for us, that we could have a new life, a new destiny, a new destination on the road, eternal life. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 